0: to go to the Word of the Lord for a little while here in our adult Bible class, and uh, I'm going to do my best to finish up this lesson that we've been working on. Uh, This will be our fourth week of dealing with this one subject, but I do believe that it is a necessary subject. I believe it is important that we cover this. Because it's something that affects every one of us. And um, as I've said so many times during this series that we've been doing this year, even though my original intention was for this these lessons to be a part of a new converts course, I I am feeling more and more, realizing more and more that the things we're covering are beneficial for everyone regardless of their level of spiritual maturity. And while some of the things that we, we, we discuss are extremely simple and very basic, there are some truths that over time Mature saints of God somehow tend to forget. And it does us good to be reminded. It does us good to go back and hear it again. So if you would turn with me one more time to the book of James chapter 1, and then we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. James chapter 1, and then going to 1 Corinthians 10. Praise God. James chapter 1 and verse 12. The apostle wrote, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love Him. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Because there is a reward coming to him if he will endure it, if he will not succumb to the temptation. There is a reward that's awaiting him. Now going to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse number 13. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 the Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you or will not permit you, will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will, with the temptation. Also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. So many things in this verse, and we'll touch on some of them in our review momentarily. But what a promise God has given to His people. He didn't leave us here to face our trials and temptations alone. He didn't say to us, just figure it out the best you can. But he said, I'm going to be there. I'm going to weigh it out. I'm going to make sure that it's never too hard for you. And when the time is right, with every temptation, He said, I will provide for you a way to get out of this. Now listen, it is impossible for God to lie. God is not a man that he should lie. So when God says that with the temptation he'll make a way to escape, I promise you, That with every temptation you face, there is a way out. It may not be there when it starts. But the Bible says He'll make a way. It's an interesting term. He's going to make a way. Not necessarily fashion away as though it's already there and God's just going to clear it for you. God's saying, if I have to, I'll part the Red Sea. There was no way, but I made a way. I'll do whatever I've got to do to see you through this if you'll let me. Well, praise God. And I know you're standing, but just one more thing while I'm on this subject because. Sometimes the way that God provides is not the way we want Him to provide. Sometimes it's not the most comfortable or enjoyable way of escape. I think of David and his words. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. And then he said, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Now he's talking about when he's in that valley. He said there's two things that the great shepherd has that bring comfort to me. There is the staff, which is important. That staff, you know, with the crook on the end, the sheep starts to stray. He can use that crook and pull the sheep back and Head him in the right direction. But there's also that rod. And that rod is a method of correction. The rod hurts. But sometimes that's the comfort God gives. Sometimes the way out is going to be painful. Sometimes it means learning some hard lessons. But listen, God's got this all figured out. I promise you there's not one thing the devil throws at you that's going to catch God off guard. He's got it all figured out. It's all figured out. God has already anticipated the devil's next move. And God's response is ready. He's just waiting. Well, praise God. Aren't you thankful for that today? Why don't we lift our hands? Let's ask the Lord to speak to us right now. Ask the Lord to talk to our hearts. Jesus, we need you today. God, I surrender myself to you today. I ask you, O Lord, that you would use me. Anoint these lips of clay, God. Lord, your word is anointed, but I want you to anoint your servant today. God, help me, direct my thoughts. Lord, let me feed your flock today. Let me say something that will help them, that will encourage them. And Lord, those who don't know you in the power of the Holy Ghost, would you fill them with your spirit today? Do a work in this place whereby we can give you the glory and the honor. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's worship him one more time before you're seated, everybody. I still feel his presence here. Come on, let's worship him. Let's worship him, everybody. Let's worship the Lord. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So if you would allow me just a few moments for review for the sake of those who may not have heard previous lessons, and I would encourage you, because the review, obviously there's no way I can go back and recover everything that I've said, and so if you missed one or more of the previous installments for this lesson, they're all on our website, you can go there, you can download it at no cost to you. Or you can just listen directly from the website, and I would encourage you to do that. In fact, I would encourage you to go back and catch any of the previous lessons in this series that you might have missed. Take some time to, uh, to listen to what the Lord is saying in each of these lessons. Now, we're talking about the subject of temptation, and as the title indicates, this is part four of this lesson on temptation, and uh, hopefully it is the omega. I think it will be. Uh, I had one final area that I wanted to cover when we ran out of time last week, and so uh, I think I should be able to get it done. If I don't spend too much time reviewing today, but I do feel like I need to spend a little bit of time, I just want to remind you first and foremost that temptation is simply a fact of life. it happens to everybody. You know, not not every temptation happens to everybody but everybody faces some temptation. There is always always going to be some opportunity for you to go against the plan of God for your life. The devil's going to make sure, That he gives you enough chances to mess up. He wants you to. He wants to pull you down. He wants to destroy you. The devil hates it when people are redeemed by the precious blood of Calvary. He hates it. And to him, it becomes a trophy on his wall if he can drag one of those redeemed out of the church. He is proud of every time he causes somebody to give up. And so he works diligently to try to bring about temptations that you will give in to. It is simply a fact of life. And let me just say that not all temptation comes from the devil. Some temptation is just a part of our human nature. I don't think the devil shows up every time you feel a temptation. I don't think the devil is in every temptation you face. There are some things that's just because we are fallen human beings who inherited a sinful nature from Adam that our flesh desires to do the wrong thing. And, and I've said it before, but I say again, when it's your flesh, you can rebuke the devil all you want to. You're not going to get victory rebuking the devil if this temptation is simply coming from your flesh. You just have to learn to overcome your flesh. And it can be done. It can be done. Especially with the power of the Holy Ghost. Well, praise God. I'm telling you, it can be done. We'll talk about it in a, in a few moments. Um, the greatest thing that you can do to make sure you overcome temptation, but let me let me not get ahead of myself. But but everybody should recognize that first of all, temptation is a fact of life. Everybody's going to be tempted. And secondly, temptation itself is not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. Now I will tell you that temptation can be a revelation to you. To show you that there is an area of weakness. I say this not to brag, I'm just trying to use some analogy that you could understand. But you know, cigarettes don't... Don't tempt me at all. There, there's no temptation there for me. I, I, can't, I can't even stand to be in a room where somebody's smoking. I, I'm telling you, I'm so allergic to cigarette smoke, my, my throat closes off. I can't breathe. I, I can tell if it's anywhere in the building, just about. I'm that sensitive to it. it just. So there's no temptation there for me when it comes to that. But it is a temptation for some others. They've been doing it perhaps since they were uh, teenagers. It's become a very, uh, not just a habit, but an addiction. And, And their flesh craves it. And they feel like they can't get by without it. And, and so, in that case, the devil's not there telling you smoke, smoke, smoke. It's your flesh. And you got to learn, all right, I've got a weakness here. And this is my point, that, that sometimes a temptation can be a revelation to us. If you find yourself constantly wanting to bend the truth... Oh, get behind me, devil. Well, it may not be the devil. There may be a character flaw in you. There may be a weakness in you that you need to work on. Well, praise God. And maybe, as I said, the way to escape that God provides means it's going to cause you a little discomfort. But I'm telling you, it can be done. Uh, It it can be done. My, My dad was a chain smoker. He smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. And even before he received the Holy Ghost, he gave them up. As they say, cold turkey. Just laid it down and walked away. And never look back without even having the Holy Ghost. He did it. It can be done. It's a matter of denying your flesh what your flesh wants. Now, for some of you, it may require a time of fasting, crucifying your flesh. I can promise you it's gonna require some times of prayer. But again, not every temptation is a result of the devil. Sometimes it's just the result of our flesh. And furthermore, being tempted itself, the temptation is not a sin. Because the Bible tells us that even Jesus Christ was tempted. He was tempted in all points like as we are. Yet without sin. So he did not commit sin When he was tempted. Temptation, therefore, is not a sin in and of itself. Temptation really is born of our carnal desires compelling us to do wrong. Now, sometimes the devil gets involved. Sometimes the devil recognizes that weakness in us and he'll work on it. And he'll see to it that somebody comes by and offers you whatever it is that you're wrestling with. Sometimes the devil is involved in those temptations. He was certainly involved in the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness. So there are times when it's the devil and there are times when it's your flesh. And you need to learn to distinguish and differentiate between the two. Because knowing the source of the temptation will determine the plan of action. Do you rebuke it or do you go back and crucify your flesh again? Well, praise God. And I want to tell you that really the battleground against temptation is found in your mind. You will win or lose this battle in your mind. You'll either decide to give in or you'll decide to withhold. But you'll make a decision and that requires an action from your mind. I'm telling you that in its most basic sense, every temptation really begins with a thought. It starts with a thought. And so whatever you allow your mind to dwell on is what you will eventually do. And whatever you do often enough will determine what you become. So it's all, it's all about getting control of your mind. We've talked about this in previous lessons about the scripture commanding us gird up the loins of your mind. And that that's a term where, whereby in ancient times the robes that they wore if if they were going to battle or they were going to have to run for some reason they would take their 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 loose fitting robe and pull it between their legs and reach up and tuck it back into the belt that was around them, and and this was called girding their loins. It was so they wouldn't trip and fall. It was to allow their legs to become free. They tightened up what was loose so that they could escape or fight, whatever was necessary. And the apostle Paul said, there are times you just have to gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, all these loose things that are out here that are dragging you down, get a hold of them and tighten them up. He said in another place, cast down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought. Every That's a a powerful word to be so small. Every thought into captivity. Bring them into the obedience of Christ. Get control of what you're thinking about. Don't let your mind walk down certain paths. If cigarettes is your temptation, when you start thinking about cigarettes, make your mind go somewhere else. Find something else to fill it. Now, we we talked about in a previous lesson how that temptation can really be a blessing to us if we'll recognize it. Because the purpose of temptation, the purpose for allowing temptation, I should say, not the purpose of the temptation, but the purpose, the reason why God allows us to be tempted is because it is, it is intended to help develop spiritual character in us. It's to make us grow spiritually. God's got a goal for our life, and that is for us to be conformed to the image of His Son. I'm telling you, saints of God, please, please, if you get nothing else out of these lessons, get this point, that your purpose as a child of God, your purpose is to become like Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about that the image of Christ could be formed in you. So everything that happens, God allows it to happen to make you more like Him. Recognize that. When temptation comes, all right, God, this is an opportunity for me to learn how to use the spiritual power you've invested in me. It it is an opportunity for me to show that I am becoming more like you. By refusing to give in. By struggling against my flesh. We look at Jesus Christ in the garden. Now, in the garden... The temptation he was facing was not from the devil. The temptation he was facing was from his flesh. His flesh knew what was about to happen. And he didn't want it. His flesh didn't want it. And he spent that night in agonizing prayer. Why? Because he had to get control of his flesh. The spirit truly is willing, he said. That very night. But the flesh is weak. We've got to understand, it might take an all-night agonizing prayer meeting to finally whip whatever it is our flesh is trying to get us to do. But it'll be worth it in the end. In fact, the apostle said this as much as Jesus wrestled in the garden about what was about to happen. I'm going to tell you, the apostle said, you know why he did it? He said he did it for the joy That was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross for the joy. He looked beyond the pain. He looked beyond the suffering. He looked beyond the struggles. He looked beyond the beatings. He looked beyond them spitting in His face. He looked beyond the, the piercing of the sword. He looked beyond the crown of thorns. And He saw joy on the other side of the cross. And I'm telling you, if we can get that kind of revelation, when temptation comes, quit focusing on, I'm going to struggle with this, I'm struggling with this, and get your eyes on, when victory comes, how sweet it's going to be. What a joy it's going to be when I can look back on this and know I've whipped it, it's behind me. God's given me strength, God's giving me victory. I've overcome this battle. Get focused on the joy that's set before you. You know, you know, when you give in to sin and then you walk into church, this cloud of guilt just hangs over your head. The devil beats you up. You can't worship. Look what you did. You can't lift your hands. Look what you said. That's exactly what he wants. But you know how wonderful it's going to be when you finally get victory over that and you can walk in here and the devil can't hang that cloud over your head? Get your eyes set on the joy that's before you. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. So... We we started a couple of weeks ago giving you four steps to overcoming temptation. Finally finished that up last week. Let me go over those four steps very quickly, and then we will uh, try to get into today's lesson. I've already taken more time than I uh, intended to. I started to say than I needed to, but no, I think I needed to take that time, but more time than I intended to. So I, I gave you four steps to help you overcome temptation. Number one, just simply recognizing That everybody has this battle. That is step number one. Recognizing you're not alone. The devil wants to tell you there's something wrong with you. You're experiencing temptation. There's something wrong. You must be backslid. Don't even try. But that's not the case. So step number one, just recognize, you know, devil, I'm not the only person that wrestles. Everybody is wrestling. Everybody's got some fight they're going through. Everybody struggles with something. As I said, it may not be, it may not be some well-known sin. It may not be alcohol. It may not be fornication. But there are people that, boy, I'm telling you, every April 15th, they want to see just how much they can fudge on those numbers. The temptation's there. there's some people that, you know, as soon as they hear something really juicy about someone else, oh, they just, it eats them up. They got to tell somebody. Right? And so there are different kinds of struggles. Not all just these really bad sins, (laughs) however you want to define those. I would think that most people probably would come up with different lists. Because for most people, the really bad ones are the ones you don't do. Well, just being honest. Step number two, recognize that anytime the flesh speaks, so does the spirit. The problem is the flesh speaks much louder. And you are used to listening to the flesh. And you're used to obeying the flesh. You've done it all your life until you were born again. You've gone through this. you've, You've had to deal with this. And you've learned through the years. It's just become a habitual thing. When the flesh speaks, you obey. But now you're having to learn something new. And you're having to learn a new voice. And you're having to listen a whole lot harder for that voice. Because when the flesh screams... The Spirit speaks in a still, small voice. Well, and you got to learn to drown out all of the other voices. And find the voice of the Spirit. What is God telling me to do right now? Sometimes that way to escape that we talked about, He's going to give you that way. He's going to outline that way. In a still, small voice. But you're going to have to learn to listen. Number three, use the method Jesus used. What did He do? He said, it is written. He used the Scripture. He used the Word of God. That is the sword of the Spirit. But if you're going to use it effectively, you're going to have to spend time not only reading it, but studying it. And in fact, if you really want to use it effectively, you're probably going to have to spend some time memorizing it. Well, praise God. You know, let me just, I know this is, again, this is basic, but understand that I am trying to help some new folks. So those of you that that have been around a while, don't don't get too frustrated when I get really basic like this. But but do you know how we learn songs? Through repetition. We sing them over and over and over and over. And we learn them. Because we've sung it over and over. You get to the place you don't need the words in the songbook. You don't need the words on the wall. You don't you know it. Now you didn't just you didn't sit down with a pen and paper and spend three hours a day trying to learn that song. You just did it over and over. When the song came to mind, you'd try to sing it. If you didn't remember the words, you'd look them up. If you really enjoy the song? You just sang it. You want to learn the scripture? Just Quote it over and over. Read it over and over. There are all kinds of Bible apps out there that will even read it for you. You know, if you need to, most of you on your phone can, can record a voice memo. Read the scripture in your own voice and just play it back over and over and over. You'll be surprised how quickly you'll learn that scripture. And there are scriptures that really will help. We talked about this in last week's lesson. There are particular passages you can find that deal with whatever is your besetting sin. Memorize that scripture. Learn that scripture. Mark it in your Bible until you've got it memorized so you can get your Bible down and go to it immediately. Take a screenshot of it if you're using your phone or your iPad. But get to that scripture quickly when you need it. I'm just trying to help you this morning. Number four is avoid the things that tempt you. We talked about having a response pre-planned. You know there are certain places you go that create a temptation for you. I'm talking to some people, not everybody, but for some people, you know, if I go there, I know what's going to happen. There are some people, I know if I get around them, I know how they affect me. So I'm telling you, if you know that ahead of time, make plans to deal with it. Don't go. Make no provision for the flesh. You know, if, if, if alcohol is your problem, stay away from it. Don't go back there at the alcohol freezer and QT. Say, well, yeah, but the, the soda's on it. Well, stay away from that. If it's going to get you over there close and you've got a real weakness, stay away. Make a plan. I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to avoid falling into temptation. We talked about how that you know certain people have besetting sins, but also sometimes these sins tend to hit in cycles. Sometimes there are certain things that, that you're more tempted to do late at night. There are things that you may be tempted to do under certain types of circumstances. What you've got to learn to do is try to make a plan to deal with that circumstance. Praise God. All right, let me try to move on. So, you know, we can, I I can give you all kinds of helps in trying to overcome temptation but the fact of the matter is most likely at some point you're gonna mess up. In fact I don't think I've ever met anybody who hasn't. At some point you let your tongue go too freely. You uh... Let your temper explode when it shouldn't have. You looked at something you shouldn't have looked at or listened to something you shouldn't have listened to or did something you shouldn't have done. Because again, we're human. So the next thing that I want to deal with, and really this is the last thing that I want to deal with in this study, is what to do when you've fallen. How do you get back up? Because I'm telling you that the devil wants to convince you that once you fall, it's over. Now, before I go there, before I go there, I want to state this unequivocally. The Christian should not sin. We shouldn't. We don't need to. The Holy Ghost gives us power to overcome it. So I don't want anyone to think that what I'm about to discuss is giving you a license to sin. Paul addressed that, Romans chapter 6. I think we read that last week in, in our study. We went through Romans chapter 6. He addressed it. What well, shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. All right, we're not supposed to just keep on sinning. We don't just keep on sinning. So, so, so don't think that I'm just giving you a license to sin. I'm saying the goal is don't. But once in a while, people do anyhow. And I want to try to help you when those times come. Because I'm here to tell you, God has made provision for us. He has lovingly provided a way for, for his erring child to be restored to full fellowship with him. It's not through him overlooking your sin, it's not for him, uh, not, not uh, him turning his head away and pretending it never happened. That's not the way God deals with it. I'm telling you, when you sin, you affect your relationship with God. But God wants you in relationship with Him. He wants you to draw nigh to Him. And so He has made a way for full restoration if you'll avail yourself of it. Falling is not the end. I hope everybody's hearing me today. Just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you should throw in the towel. I'm going to tell you the difference between failing and being a failure is simply whether you get back up. That's it, it's as simple as that. If you don't get back up, you're a failure. but as long as you get up, you have you are not a failure. you may have failed, but you're not a failure. You just get back up, you dust yourself off, you try again Now you don't just act like nothing happened. I see this sometimes. you know somebody'll trip and fall and. They They look around, want to make sure nobody saw them, and then, you know, they want to just get up and go on like nothing ever happened. The problem is sometimes we do that spiritually too. Because there's two different extremes to this. There are two different, two different ditches we can fall into in this. One is that we fall and we just don't even get up. The other is we fall, we get up and act like nothing happened. Neither of those is the right response. Neither of those is the right response. But listen to what the Scripture says. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1. My little
1: children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ,
0: the righteous. See, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said it a whole lot better than what I was. I was trying to say this very thing a while ago. John just really made it much more concise and straightforward. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you don't sin. I don't want you to sin. God doesn't want you to sin. But if you do, John understood human nature. And he said, if you do, there is hope. Thank God there's hope. Thank God there's hope. And that hope is found in the fact that we have an advocate. You ever thought about that word? When you're someone's advocate, what are you doing? Well, you're going between, but for what purpose? A mediator goes between. An advocate does more than just going between. They go on your behalf. The advocate is working for your good. The advocate, a mediator, might fall one way or the other. A mediator, and and understand Jesus is our mediator, so I'm not knocking being a mediator, but there is a difference. He's not only a mediator, he is also an advocate. And as an advocate, he's not just trying to smooth things over between the two sides. He's there standing in your corner. He is your defense attorney. Well, praise God. He is your public defender. Provided free of charge. I'm telling you, he will go to bat for you. He wants you to be victorious. Now listen, John is not writing his epistle to sinners. He's not writing to sinners. And though he says, my little children, he's not writing to um, a Sunday school class. John is up in years by the time he writes this epistle. He's an old man. And you know, I've found out the older I get, Brother Hall, the older young people are. I, I often talk about, you know, this young guy, and he's 40. I find myself a lot of times saying, you know, I really like working with young preachers. And then I look around and say, wait a minute. He's in his mid-30s, you know. I mean, when I was in my mid-30s, I didn't consider myself to just be a young man. But now that I'm in my mid-60s, mid-30s is a young man. Right? And so, so I'm telling you, John the aged is writing. And he's really, this is a a loving term of relationship. He's saying, listen, those of you that are following me, that are listening to me, my spiritual children, I don't want you to sin. He's not writing to sinners. He's writing to saints. I don't want you to sin, but if you sin. If you sin. Now, listen. To the sinner, this verse does not apply. This is not written to the sinner. To a person who has not been born again, this verse was not written to them. There is something else they have to do. Before they can avail themselves of this. You know what it is? Acts chapter 2. Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of. The... Now, listen, this is what you've got to, if you've not been born again, this is the way you deal with your sin. You start out with repentance. You get baptized in Jesus' name, and then you seek the gift of the Holy Ghost and let God fill you with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. That's the way you deal with your sin. Once you've dealt with your sin according to Acts 2.38, then you can deal with your sin according to 1 John 2. If we confess our sin. Now, wait, 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 I'm not there. You're, you're getting ahead of me, so don't. You hold your horses there, man. You don't even come out of the barn yet. I'm not ready for you. Everybody messes up. Even my Bible reader. Well, praise God. I'm telling you, That once you have obeyed Acts 2.38, then you can avail yourself of 1 John 2 and 1 that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. That's for us. He's our advocate. Once we've been baptized in His name and our sins have been remitted, then he becomes our advocate. Then he starts fighting on our behalf. But there are things we've got to do first. We've got to obey Acts 2.38. Then, then there is a process that we follow. Once you've been born again, you're in a covenant relationship with God. And as a child of God, it is... A privilege that is granted us, that we can obtain forgiveness, not by going back and being baptized again, but now you can bring that horse out of the barn. First John chapter one verse nine. If we confess our sins, if we do what? Now, this is an interesting thing. We have to confess our sins. This doesn't mean we go to a confessional booth and talk to a man on the other side of the screen. It doesn't mean that you have to go in the pastor's office and tell the pastor what you've done. So who do we confess to? Well, that's a good answer, but there may be someone more than just Jesus Christ. You confess to the one against whom you've sinned. Now every sin is against Him, against God, so you're going to have to confess it to Him. But I want to tell you, this is not in the notes. Go over to Matthew chapter uh, 5. And um, Matthew chapter 5, let's, let's start with verse 23. It Comes right after Matthew chapter 4.
1: Again, Found we it. Have heard.
0: All right, Matthew 5 and 23. Is that 5 and 23? Is that 5 and 23? Now we're there. All right. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift unto the altar and there rememberest that you've done something against your brother, uh huh. Leave your gift before the altar, go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother. Then come and offer thy gift. So I'm telling you, this is why I say you're going to have to confess to whomever it is you've sinned against. If you've done wrong to your brother, you need to go make it right with your brother. Need I go back and talk about that other ditch where we just want to get up and go on and pretend like nothing ever happened? I think this happens more when it's a sin against our brother than any other thing. That happens. When we have offended a brother or a sister, we'd rather just go to God, a private little prayer, and say, God, forgive me, and forget it. But Jesus makes it very clear. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. What's he say? What? 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 First be reconciled to thy brother. And then come and offer thy gift. Jesus said before you do anything else, you're going to make it right with the person you offended. I was... I was trying to help someone here sometime back, and and um, someone thought they had done them wrong, and so I told him I said, look, just go and apologize. Just go and make it right with them, and whether you think you did it wrong or not, you just go. It's, it's not going to hurt for you to go. In fact, verse 23 said that if you get there and realize your brother has ought against you, right? Is that what it said? Verse, verse 23, that, that you remember that your brother has aught against you. Not that you have aught against him, but you realize he's got something against you. That's when Jesus said, first go be reconciled to him. And so I, I told them, I said, I said just go and, and just get things right between them. And so I told the other individual, I said, they're coming your way. They're coming to make things right. And the person wrote back and said, I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. They just need to repent to God. Well, listen. Number one, it sounds like they're not the only ones that need to repent to God. But number two, the Scripture says they got to make it right with you first. Before they can make it right with God. So don't deny them that opportunity. Well, hallelujah. Look, folks, this is the truth, church. Thy word is truth. We don't come here to just hear what we want to hear. We come here to find out the truth. And I'm telling you the truth. Sometimes we got to go and get things right with somebody else. we got to make it right with our brother, with our sister. we got to work things out between us. He didn't say, you realize your brother's got ought against you, go tell somebody else. Or if you've got ought against your brother, go tell somebody else. Look, the whole idea here is reconciliation. And you can't reconcile by getting people on your side. Well, they did me wrong. They they may have. You may be 100% innocent, and they may be 100% guilty. I doubt it. I haven't seen very many cases like that. Usually there's at least a little fault on both sides. I appreciate the two people in the congregation that agree with me. But it's still true. Hallelujah. If nobody agrees, it's still true. There's usually a little bit of blame at least on both sides of the issue. And so the Lord just makes it clear. It doesn't matter who's at fault here. You don't go and stir it up among other people. You don't go and spread it among other people. You go deal with the individual. You get it right. You be reconciled with them. And then come talk to me so we can be reconciled. So step number one, um, he said, if we confess our sin. God is faithful and just to forgive us. So, so there is this confession that is a part of real repentance. If you mess up, just admit you messed up. Don't, don't try to justify it. Well, God, I know I did wrong, but 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 no, 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 no. No, don't, don't offer God all those conjunctions. Don't try to justify it. And don't do it when you try to make it right with your brother or sister either. Just say, I was wrong. Well, I want them to understand why. No, just say you were wrong. That's hard to do. It's hard to do. Well, they're going to think bad of me. You know, I really think most of the time they're going to think better of you for just having gone to make it right. And usually they'll think better of you if you don't try to justify it. You just admit I was wrong. Now if they ask you, why'd you do it? Well, I shouldn't have. But if they press you and want an answer, well, then give them an answer. But, I mean, you can't lie, obviously. But I wouldn't start with that. I would start with, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. You're my brother. You're my sister. Our relationship means more than my pride. Ouch. My relationship with my brother or my sister means more to me than me just knowing, well, I'm right. I, I wish that I had a copy of the old poem. Elder E.L. Holly uh, years ago told me I was on the phone with him and I was, I was so upset about something that was going on. And, and, and Elder Holly, he was, a, he was a good man and he was a wise man. Um, and, and I was so upset. I'd been done wrong, and, 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 and I, I was so upset about it. And, and, and he was the man to take it to. He was the man in charge. He was the man in authority. And, and so I, I called him, not to run anybody down, but just to seek his guidance on how, how do I combat this? I, this. This is not right. What's happening here is not right what do I do? How do I deal with it? And he started quoting this poem. that I, 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 I don't know it. I can just tell you the basic idea. It was about a man coming up to a yield sign. Um, actually, there was no yield sign the way he was coming. There was somebody else coming in cross traffic that was supposed to yield. And he could see they weren't slowing down. But he knew he didn't have to slow down. They did. He was right. So he just went on through that intersection, and so did the other person. And and the last line of the poem was something to the effect of, in the end, he was right, but he was dead right. And Elder Holly said, Brother Regan, you're right, but by the time you get through, you may be dead right. That's when he gave me another sage piece of advice. He said, you know, a bulldog can whip a skunk, but the fight ain't worth the stink. You know, pieces of wisdom like that, you just don't ever forget. (laughs) I'm sure he could have said something a lot more profound, but it probably wouldn't have stuck with me like that did. I, I'm just telling you, sometimes it's just better for you to eat humble pie and say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Get it right. Get it right. Be reconciled to your brother, be reconciled to your sister. That's number one, number one, make confession, get it right, number two, don't live under condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is, a, is an often quoted scripture and really most of the time it's taken out of context. Uh, and it's only partially quoted. So let's read Romans chapter 8, verse 1 in its entirety. There is therefore now
1: no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit.
0: Now, Now, most of the time when I hear this verse quoted, all I hear is there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And boy, they just put a period right there, end of discussion. That's not what it says. And to put the period there is to do an injustice to the Scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if you're walking after the flesh, there ought to be some condemnation. In fact, I'm concerned about you if there's not However, having said that, I do think that it's important that we understand the distinction between condemnation and conviction. Because God brings conviction, the devil brings condemnation. Conviction comes with a purpose. of leading you to repentance. Condemnation comes with a purpose of beating you down. Let me tell you, one of the quick ways you can can usually discern between condemnation and conviction is if you know why it's there. God will never convict you for something that He doesn't make it clear what it is you're doing wrong. You just go around feeling condemned all the time. That's not conviction. If you're feeling this feeling of guilt and you ask God, Lord, show me, what have I done? Now, God has different ways of showing you. God might allow the temptation to present itself again and let you see what it was you did. And all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and so, oh, yeah, I gave in to that, didn't I? I shouldn't have handled it that way, should I? Sometimes God will turn the light on through the preaching. And the ministry will address something that you've been doing that you shouldn't be. But God will, if you'll ask Him, He will always make it clear to you what it is you feel bad about. And if he doesn't, it's condemnation. Don't accept it. The devil specializes in accusing Christians. That's one of his monikers. That's one of his titles. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10. Now now listen, we're not going to talk about what this verse means and all that. I just want you to see how the devil is referenced in this passage. For the what? The accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. He's the accuser of the brethren and he never stops accusing. You hear me? This is his job. This is what he does. It's something he has taken on himself day and night. He does what he can to accuse you. He wants you to feel bad because if he can make you feel bad enough, you'll quit. If he can make you feel guilty enough, you won't try anymore. This is what the devil wants to accomplish in your life. Recognize it for what it is. You know, one of the things I've seen the devil do through the years is is he wants to go and tell somebody, you just committed the unpardonable sin. Now, you may have never had that feeling, but I've dealt with more than one individual that's come to me scared out of their mind. Because they got it in their head, I think I committed the unpardonable sin. I remember as a young boy, the devil putting that on me. I, I was, you know, I've got a unique story. God saved me at the age of 12 when nobody in my family was living for God called me to preach that summer, I preached my first message at 13, so I'm talking about a 13 year old boy probably at 14 maybe at most, probably 13, it's probably one of my first sermons that, that I'd been asked to preach and I'd studied and I'd, I'd worked on it and I'd tried to put some notes the best that a 13 year old boy would know how to and, and and I just it just wasn't coming together and I just got so frustrated and I said, I don't want to preach that stupid sermon boy as soon as that thought crossed my mind the devil said you just blasphemed the Holy Ghost God gave you that sermon and you called it stupid you blasphemed the Holy Ghost and now there's no hope for you look that's not blaspheming the Holy Ghost it was a childish thing for me to say and I was a child but I didn't blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Thank God. The Bible's very clear about what blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is. And I don't have time to get into it. I am already way beyond what time I should be shutting down. And I'm not finished yet. And I'm going to finish this lesson somehow, Lord willing. So, so, so I don't have time to get into it. But the Bible's very, very clear. Um, if you don't know and want to know, I can find you a, a, a link to a time when I taught on it here in this church. It's been several years ago. I did spend some time. It's amazing to me. It's the one sin that cannot be forgiven, and yet nobody ever deals with it. Now, if I was the devil, what do you think I would try to get people to do? Don't you think he spends more time trying to get people to blaspheme the Holy Ghost than he does anything else? Because if he can get them to do that, it's over. And yet, we don't even know what it is. A lot of people don't. They don't have any idea what it is. I will tell you this. I don't have time to get into it, but I'll tell you this. It's a sin of the tongue. Blasphemy is a sin of the tongue. You suppose there's any connection between that and the fact that we have such a hard time controlling our tongue? Don't you think that there's that much more reason that we ought to learn to control our tongue? If the one sin that cannot be forgiven is a sin of the tongue? But it's a specific sin of the tongue, not just any. It's one specific one. And, 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 and really, when you look at it from the Scripture, basically what you're doing after you've received the Holy Ghost, and I think I can prove, and I think I did prove it from the Scripture, that first of all, if you've never had the Holy Ghost, you cannot commit this sin. Because Jesus said this to Pharisees after they said a certain thing. And then he said, beware that you don't do this. Which was what they'd already done. But obviously they had not committed that sin because they didn't have the Holy Ghost. But if somebody who has the Holy Ghost ever turns around and says that the power of the Holy Ghost is the power of the devil... That's blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. So, so, you know, that's, I mean, you have to really go a long ways to reach that point. If you've ever had the Holy Ghost and you want to turn around and say that's the devil, that's, you've really crossed some lines to reach that point to begin with. Although I will tell you the devil really likes to push you as close to that line as he can. And there's only three spirit sources that can bring anything about. There's the spirit of God, there's the human spirit, there are demonic spirits. And so I would say we really need to be careful before we just start spouting that's not God. Because if it's not God, then that only leaves two other choices. Either we're saying that's a human spirit or we're saying it's a demonic spirit. And if it really does turn out to be God and we said it was... You understand what I'm saying? We just need to be careful with that. Probably need to be a whole lot less judgmental than we are. All right, I got to move on. I got 12 minutes. I, I, the devil specializes in accusing Christians and he really likes to make you think you blasphemed the Holy Ghost. He wants you to think there's no hope for you It's it's beyond repair. You can't get up. God's not going to save you now. You've gone too far. You've crossed the line. You've wasted all of God's mercy. Those are the things the devil wants to tell people. And all of them are lies based on the Scripture. Let's go through these very quickly. I've got to go through this. Psalm 34, verse 18. He is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite. I'm telling you, if you've got a broken heart and a contrite spirit, don't let the devil tell you that there's no hope for you. God's nigh to you and God will save you. That's what the Bible says. Psalm 51 verse 17. This is anointed scripture written by the psalmist under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. God led him to write this. So I'm telling you, God is letting us know that he will not despise a contrite heart. If you're truly sorry for what you did, God's not going to despise that. God's not going to turn you away. God's not going to cut you off. If you're really sorry for your sin, God will have mercy on you. I don't care what the devil tells you. Proverbs 28 verse 13 He that covereth his his sins shall not prosper But whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy There's a promise from God You make up your mind I'm going to confess this I'm going to turn around from it The Bible promises you You shall have mercy Don't let the devil tell you there's no hope John chapter 6, verse 37. I'm trying to go through these very quickly. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that that cometh to me, I will will in in no wise cast out. I'm telling you, Jesus said, if you'll come back to him, he will not throw you away. Don't let the devil lie to you like that. Oh, I feel this this morning. Somebody, somebody that's listening needs to hear what I'm saying right now. Don't let the devil put that on you. Just find your way to an altar. Lay it on an altar. Repent of that sin and God will be happy to take you back. He wants to do it. His blood is sufficient to cover every sin for every person in every nation around the entire world. The very idea that a person is beyond forgiveness suggests a limited atonement. His blood was only good enough to this extent. We read 1 John 2 and 1 a while ago. Let's read verses 1 and 2. 1 John 2 1 and 2.
1: My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation
0: for our sins, and not for, our not for ours sins. only, but also, but also for the sins, sins. of the whole world world I'm telling you there's no limit to his atonement there is no limit to the power of his blood don't let the devil convince you that you are beyond his reach don't let the devil convince you that there's no hope for you that you can't get up again that you can't try again I'm here to proclaim to you his blood is strong enough it's powerful enough it's good enough it's rich enough it's holy enough it can cleanse every sin of everybody in every nation. God will forgive you if you'll just come to him with the right spirit and attitude. Musicians come. My time is up. If you'll confess your sins, he'll forgive you. He'll restore you to fellowship. I talked a while ago about learning to use the scripture. Let me give you one more passage of scripture that you need need to, to learn to pray this. Not just recite it, but pray it. This is a prayer of repentance written by David. Now I want you to think about what David had done before he wrote this prayer. First of all, he committed adultery with another man's wife, got her pregnant. Then tried to cover up her pregnancy by sending her husband home to her. Didn't work. So he finally had her husband killed to cover it up. He was responsible not only for adultery, but for murder. That's pretty bad. Surely that's on your list of bad sins. We talked a while ago about, you know, the bad sins are the ones that you're not doing. Surely that's on the list of bad sins. But I want you to hear this prayer that David prayed. And I'm telling you that after this, God continued to call David a man after his own heart. And God continued the Davidic covenant he had established with David. This is an effective prayer of repentance. Psalm 51, mark it in your Bible. Mark it in your Bible. Do whatever you've got to do. Put a bookmark there. If you don't like writing in your Bible, put a bookmark there. Do something to mark Psalm 51 in your Bible because you need this prayer of repentance. Here is David's prayer. Read. Have mercy mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. only have I sinned and done this
1: evil. Yes. Read.
0: Uh huh. I, I was shaped in, shape in an iniquity. And in, sin. in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou
1: desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part that thou shalt make me to know wisdom.
0: Purge me. With Purge himself, me with hyssop, and I shall, and I shall be clean. Wash, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make, me, make me, snow. me to hear joy and gladness. gladness. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. I'm telling you what a prayer of repentance that is. You need to learn to pray that prayer. I'm telling you there will be a time you're going to falter. There's going to be a time you're going to slip. But God honored that prayer from David. And if you mean it, if you mean it, you're not just reciting it. You're praying it with your heart. God will honor it when you pray it as well. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. God, my heart's grown filthy God I didn't know that was down there would you create a clean one God he didn't just say clean up the one I've got he said give me a new one God I don't like the one I have it led me to do things that were wrong and I don't want that anymore create a clean heart in me God and renew a right spirit oh God I'm asking you wash me thoroughly and purge me Cleanse me, O oh God. My friend, there's hope. Even when you falter, there's hope. There is hope. I, I, I don't understand. I see it so often. Men just want to write people off. Throw people away. I don't understand. I'm glad God's not that way. I'm glad God's not that way. I know there are times, Paul said there's times you've got to just give people over to Satan. There are some times that you've got to take some drastic action. But I think men tend to do it a whole lot faster than they should. I'm telling you, there's a God of mercy and compassion who wants to see you saved. He's not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want you to be lost. God's not trying to find a way to cut you off. He wants to restore you. He Let's stand this morning. I know we've only got a short time, but I just wonder if there's anybody here that feels the need to come and pray this morning. I I I think we could stick around for a few minutes past noon and just spend some time. Maybe there's something down in your heart that you need to get right with God. I want to tell you, He wants to help you. He wants to help you.